0: All right, I think we're, we'll be able to pick up where we left off. Uh, okay, all right, put the timing out there. And he says in chapter, let's pick it up from verse 1 of chapter 5, My son, pay attention to my wisdom, listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. The wisdom and words of insight ultimately that are talking about here come from God. Not necessarily Solomon, as chapter 2, verse 6 reminds us For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Now, while the lips of the teacher reflect the wisdom of God, uh, there are other lips speaking uh, in verse 3. Have a look at verse 3 there. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Now, there are lots of rich spider web like connections in Proverbs. And one of them is the relationship between speech and sexuality. And we use the word intercourse in a sexual and a social context. Social intercourse, sexual intercourse. But look again at the imagery in verse 3. For the lips of the adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. The image of dripping honey drop by drop by drop, direct from the honeycomb. Her speech is smoother than oil, suggesting one enters easily into her presence. Both are metaphors for deceitful flattery, and the honey trap image comes to mind, as verse 4 reflects there. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a two, bitter and irritating, in verse 4. All is not as it appears, seeing is not believing. In verse 5. Her feet, 16 to 19, it said she had ignored the covenant she had made. She didn't fear God. She embraced the path of foolishness to the point she didn't even know she had left the path. And that's the kind of imagery there that it's using. She, she knows it not. She doesn't even realise she's gone off the path. And like Cain in Genesis 4 and Israel in the wilderness, they wander aimlessly until their death. But we get to these pieces of advice here in verse 7 and 8 and having already touched on the consequences of verse 4 to 5, about the consequences in verse 4 to 5, there's this more detail about the consequences coming up. But before he does go into these consequences, he lays down the most trusted advice regarding the temptation to wander. Verse 7, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. The most fundamental principle of temptation is simple. Avoid the temptation to begin with. Now, my mother-in-law lives down here on Wentworth Road and in front of her, she's in a little semi there and it's got a big red letterbox in the, in the, front, on the, in the front of the road. Now, quite a few years ago, uh, a prostitute set up shop a few doors down and uh, I was visiting my mother-in-law one day and there was this knock on the door. You know, I go to the front door, and there's this shocked middle-aged man standing there, staring back at me. And uh, he goes, "Uh, uh, "Is Cynthia here?" Sorry, mate, she doesn't live here, mate. Got no idea who you're talking about. And obviously, the red letterbox, the bright red red letterbox, confused him into thinking that was the local brothel. No getting knocks on the door all the time for a few weeks. (laughs) Couldn't believe it. They would complain to the council and everything. And uh, I was almost tempted to set up a bit of a camera there and bust all these guys cheating on their wives, knocking on the door. <laughs> very vivid story in Chapter 7 here. Uh, and I think it's a very powerful story and so much so that I've, I've memorised it over the years to try to help me understand the weight and the significance of what's going on. So look, I'm going I'm to retell the story, but I'm going to walk up and down and move around a little bit to just try to highlight the significance of the story. So can you hear me there? So at the, at, the, at the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice, and I saw among the simple, I saw among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. And he was walking down the street near her corner, walking in the direction of her house. It was, it was at twilight as, as, the, as the day was fading, as the, as the dark of night was beginning to set in. Then out came this woman to meet him. She was dressed as a prostitute with, uh, with crafty intent. Her feet never stayed home. Now in the streets, now in the squares. At every corner, at every corner, she, she lurks. She took hold of him and she kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, I fellowship offerings at my home. Today, I've fulfilled my vows. I came out to look for you. I searched for you and I found you. I found you. I've covered my bed with coloured linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon, like an ox going to the slaughter like a deer stepping into a a noose till its heart is pierced by an arrow, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing that it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Pay attention to what I say. Do not... Do not let your heart turn to her ways, or stray, or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death." This passage goes on to speak of the consequences of leaving a life of love and faithfulness behind. Verse 9 says lest you lose your honor to others and let your dignity and your dignity to one who is cruel lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house in the culture of Israel at the time the jealous husband might demand compensation by making the adulterer his slave But whatever the context, instead of building a stable financial and social environment for your family to thrive in, the years are consumed with dealing with the consequences of unfaithfulness. Verse 11 and 12 go on. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned. Correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructions, instructors, and I was soon in serious trouble in the the assembly of God's people. How I hated discipline, hated, hated, my heart spurned correction. And I was soon at the brink of utter ruin, the brink of utter ruin, It's a phone call I remember clearly. I was overseas at the time and I've been trying to get in contact with a friend of mine back here, a long-term friend. Um, We didn't have, it wasn't easy to make phone calls back then and uh, I was uh, trying to get through Skype and all the other different ways. We didn't have the fancy apps that we do now, make it easy. And uh, I was trying to get, he was in Sydney. This is what he said on the phone. Dave, you won't believe what's been going on. I've been sleeping in a battered caravan in the driveway of a mate's place. She kicked me out, she won't take me back. I've lost my job. Dave, you just can't imagine how tough it's been for me. I can't even see my kids. She refuses to even talk to me. That's what he blurted out straight away. I didn't even get a chance to say anything else. Fifteen years earlier, I'd stood beside him watching at his wedding, a day full of hopes and dreams. And now here he was on the brink of ruin. He had let love and faithfulness for his wife leave him. And now she was telling him to leave her and never come back. In a marriage context, the cost of letting love and faithfulness leave you is immense. Financially supporting your kids without having a major say in raising them. Broken, hurt, insecure children growing up angry about how you have damaged their lives. Networks of broken relationships with the wider family. Not to mention the lifelong pain you inflict on the spouse you left behind. Living over your lifetime with feelings of regret and self-loathing. Now some of you listening here today might be feeling that Weight of the decisions that you have made in your lifetimes, where love and faithfulness has slipped off the radar of your lives. Some of you carry the burden of others' foolish decisions and continue to have an effect on your life. But the reality is, we've all let go of God. We've all let go of love for God and faithfulness to him. And the consequences for some here on earth are more obvious than they are for others. But there's a proverb to describe just that. It says in chapter 20, verse 6, Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. However great or small, we are not characterised by unfailing love completely. But we can take heart that God is. The God we serve is a God of unfailing love. That we're not left to wallow in pity, he gives us a second chance. And the Apostle Paul describes it in this way in 2 Corinthians 5. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. A new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. For God made Christ who never sinned. Who did live a life of love and faithfulness. God made Christ to be the offering for our sin. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. That is what we have been given in Jesus Well, that brings us to the second part of this passage about love and faithfulness. And it's, uh, we're talking about who not to have sex with and now it talks about who to have sex with and that's where it picks it up in verse 15. This amazing imagery here uh, in, from verse 15. Drink water from your own system, running water from your own well, should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. Now, the allegory uh, sort of exhausts the vocabulary for sources, a list for sources of water. You know how you play that game uh, taboo? When you get a word and you've got to try to say as many words as you can without saying the word, so you're going through, trying to describe water, you know, cistern, well, uh, springs, uh, overflow, streams of, fountain, have you got it, got it, what's the word, what's the word, Uh, water, yes that's it, okay, let's move on to the one, there's lots of different words going on here, but the word cistern here is not to be confused with a, a toilet cistern we have in our bathrooms, as one guy in our growth group said on Wednesday night, he couldn't quite get the imagery, but rather it's a kind of basin for storing rainwater in your family compound in, a, in an arid and stormy Middle East. Your, your own private water supply is separate from the public well that's available to everybody. Now in the book of songs the word uh, water is also used as a metaphor quenching one's sexual thirst. And the key to interpreting drinking water from your own cistern uh, is found in the parallel to the word fountain used in verse 18 there in verse 18 there may your fountain be blessed may you rejoice in the wife of your youth in other words the only person you need to be having sex with is your wife not making yourself available to all around town like the local village well it's repulsive to think that you'd share your wife around town why would it be okay for someone to share their wife with you And half the town. And Whereas normally in scripture, blessing is relating to having children, here in this passage, it's related to sexual pleasure. As verse 19 describes it, A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always, may you ever be captivated by her love. The word captivated here literally means to go astray. It's the same language of going astray that's used elsewhere in the passage. The only place to let yourself go to be crazy in love is in the arms of your wife or your husband. Hence the question about an undesirable alternative in verse 20 there. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? The logic is there. Now, having given the natural reasons, the logical reasons of cause and effect about why you shouldn't be sleeping around with somebody who's not your marriage partner, the teacher goes on to give some supernatural reasons why faithfulness is important. For your ways, in verse 27, for a man's ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all his paths. God reveals here that he is all-knowing. Now, omniscience is the big word we use for it. Now, when I was younger, I didn't know how to say the word omniscience, so I used to say omniscience. (laughs) I didn't know how to say it. And people didn't correct me, so I felt pretty stupid when somebody did eventually. Now, we might think we can hide an adulterous relationship doing the deed behind closed doors, but we can't hide it from God. We can't hide it from God. And, And the word par's there. Uh, reflects the language of wagon tracks. You know the the same track that people sort of dig over time? It's the same section where people walk all the time. The wagon tracks go. Uh, So this is not necessarily talking about one-off lapses, although they are not not excused. It's talking about habitual lifestyles that are developed over time, like wagon tracks. Verse 22 says, The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin Hold him fast. Now while verse 21 is about people generally, verse 22 here is about those ensnared in a lifestyle of ill discipline. Those indulging their freedom and despising warnings against misusing it and it ends up being no freedom at all. They're deceived into thinking there's freedom where there is no freedom at all. You are in fact ensnared and only have yourself to blame. Verse 23. He will die for lack of discipline. Led astray by his own great folly. Let me point out a few points of reflection and application towards the end here. We can take great comfort that the same spirit that searches our hearts, that knows us in God's omniscience is the same spirit that leads us on the paths of wisdom. It's the same spirit guiding us, leading us, showing us the way, not leaving us on our own. We can take great comfort in that. We don't need to be scared that God knows everything, but he's patiently, gently guiding us. But he also gives us the grace to live faithfully in the situation into which we are called at that point in time. Whether we are in a marriage relationship or not, it is who you, It ends up being who we don't have sex with that shapes who we are and the decisions that we've made about sexual faithfulness. So be encouraged and thankful for remaining for those among you who have been faithful in this area. Be encouraged and be thankful that God has been equipping and enabling you for those who have struggled and wrestled and made mistakes know that there is always a new beginning. But this passage is more than just about sex, and it's it's about faithfulness. And faithfulness applies to us all, regardless of our marital status. We are all called to be faithful to our context until God changes it. So I asked a number of older members of the congregation about what they would learned about faithfulness. Uh, I asked them during the week, and they said a few things, and let me point them out. They said, firstly, you'll never be completely satisfied in life. But be satisfied and thankful for God's provision in the situation that God has called you to at that point in time. Seek to be obedient within that context, not thinking that the grass is greener on the other side. The grass is never greener on the other side. The grass is actually greener under your own feet. We just need to let it grow. And it is under this point that I want to speak to the lies of internet pornography that suggests that what we have been given is not enough. That suggests that the grass is greener on the other side. And statistics speak for themselves. There are men listening today, and perhaps women too, who are foolishly viewing or reading pornography or indulging in sexual thoughts in places you shouldn't go to, letting love and faithfulness slip from your life. If you are, you need to do something about it. Speak to someone about it for accountability and support. Now as a bloke I've left an email address in the bulletin for men, you can find it in your own time, put it down the bottom on the back. Only I look at that, Liz does not look at that. If you feel like you need some support, you'd like to speak with me, that email address is there. I encourage you to take it. Now, if you don't speak to me, that's okay. You can choose somebody you trust. But if you're in that situation at the moment, you need to do something about it. It's going to trap you and it's going to cause a lot of damage. For women, find somebody you trust. Speak to somebody you trust and address it. This passage is warning us of the dangers of where that can take us. Secondly, they said, uh, you you can still get ensnared no matter what the age. Don't think, oh, yeah, when you're young and, you know. But, uh, you know, just because you you get less attractive as you get older, your attractiveness becomes a little bit different. doesn't stop you looking at others with lustful eyes or jealous eyes. We need to be on guard over a lifetime. Now, I I thought I'd sort of get a bit easier when I got to my 40s or something like that, or 50s maybe. Temptations are always going to be there. But they do change shape over time, they said. The initial challenges might be sexual faithfulness, perhaps, but over time it might be a different kind of faithfulness, emotional faithfulness. There is a danger for us men, as our wives crave emotional connection, that many of us are so busy being emotionally connected in our work and other pursuits that we're being emotionally unfaithful to our wives. Same can apply wives to their husbands. If you're being emotionally unfaithful, you need to do something about it. Now next Friday, Barry and Lorna, if you're listening, celebrating 61 years of marriage. 61 years! I've done 21, but they've done 61. That's amazing. Congratulations if you're listening. I asked Barry during the week, what's the secret? He he, he sort of didn't know what to say. He said patience. Patience. I think that's good advice. I could explore that a little bit more with him. But no doubt there are many challenges that they've faced over 61 years. And no matter what our experience of faithfulness is in human relationships, we can all share in the faithfulness of God to us. So we don't have to be in a marriage relationship to understand and appreciate the weight and the significance of God's faithfulness to us in his relationship to us. No matter our relational situation in life, we can take great delight and great pleasure in walking faithfully with our God, knowing that because of the Lord's great love for us, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They knew every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And we're going to sing about that later on in the service. It's a great reminder of God's faithfulness to us. Let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and faithfulness to us and we thank you that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, that our old lives have gone and a new life has begun, that in Christ you have reconciled us to yourself, no longer counting our sins against us. We thank you for the gift of sex and the context in which it is to be used and enjoyed and embraced. Help us to walk a life of faithfulness to you in the context that you have put us in never letting love and faithfulness ever leave us.